Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about science in anime and their functionalities and how it works for the world. So before anyone gets confused, because I can already hear you guys going, wait, 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 we've already done a science and anime sort of topic before. In our last topic, we are specifically talking about actual science that has shown up in stories that either has surprised us, impressed us in ways that just we weren't expecting. This time, however, we are going to be examining how science as an element is used in the actual world building and a storytelling with the characters. So it's a little bit of a distinction. Basically, the previous topic is we were talking about literal science. And then this topic is the science doesn't have to be real. It's more about how they play into the actual uh, anime itself. So with that being said, funnily enough, as the non-STEM major of the trio of girls here, I am actually starting off this episode first since the baton came to me. But that's great news because I am someone who is very not well versed or truly completely interested in, I would say, science as an element. Sci-fi is one of my least favorite genres. I don't click with it. It's very unlikely for me to ever pick it up. And so... It's better if I get to go first and make sure that my picks are not poached in this case, as you guys have heard happen plenty of times. So with that being said, uh, an example of a science usage in anime in regards to their world and how it operates and pushes the characters that I did like is Heaven Design Team. And this kind of has a slight crossover with the first episode, since actually speaking, the science that is discussed in Heaven Design Team is very, very real. It's based on the biology of animals that is very real, true to life as well here. And so here as in the world, planet Earth. But that being said, I was still very impressed as to how it influences the plot and influences the characters as well. So a quick explanation of Heaven Design Team, because I know that is not the most popular anime. So probably a lot of people listening don't know about it. It's basically a story of these heveling beings who are responsible for creating and designing animals. And their one client and their biggest client is God, literally God. And an angel gets sent down to them, sort of working as their liaison per se, who communicates to these heavenly beings that design and sculpture animals, you know, what kind of animal that God wants to create today. And it could be something very vague, as in something that flies but looks like a horse, you know. And, and they just have to figure out a way to realistically design these animals to make it work for God to create them and essentially put them on Earth. And to my disappointment, they did not cover the platypus, which I thought would have been amazing if they did, because the platypus remains probably one of the most befuddling creatures on planet Earth to this day. But it did cover a lot more than just, oh, you know, penguins and giraffes and stuff like that. But it actually covered animals that are mythical and why they wouldn't work. And I find and I find that particularly funny because, you know, humans, we have all these imagination and we want to create we want and wish these mythical creatures to exist, for example, dragons, you know, House of the Dragons airing right now, and a lot of people watch it because of the dragons. And then we have unicorns, which have been part of mythology for a very, very long time. And then we have even more modern sort of monsters like King Kong, which is like a ginormous gorilla. It's We have this imagination of wishing for these animals that we can imagine, but just simply do not exist. And funnily enough, the heveling beings are just like us. They are, you know, they also have these creativity moments and they just want to really make these animals work. But unfortunately, they just don't. And it re- and it results in some very, very hilarious moments of these mythical creatures like the unicorn just collapsing when they build a model of it and trying to figure out why and through that explanation of why directly explains to us how these mythical creatures can just never exist unfortunately 
And I thought that was a very, very clever sort of twist in regards to adding it to Heaven Design, uh, Heaven Design team and the world and the characters as well. For example, one of the characters, after he invented the horse, he just always wants to invent more kinds of horses. But I think we know that. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like he just—it's literally. It's literally the pun of the one-trick pony, right? Yep. Because he mm-hmm. only designs horses. He And every single design he submits is a horse rendition. It's so funny. Yeah, it's, it's like the horse, the zebra, the pony. <laughs> and uh, it's like nothing past that. But in particular, he was the one who tried to design a unicorn. Makes total sense. I mean, let's be honest here. Unicorns, they look very beautiful, you know? Like... I think that's why unicorns or the idea of unicorns being this magical horse is so appealing to humans when humans created unicorns as well. But quickly they found out, you know, the unicorn horn would essentially take up a lot of calcium and that calcium is very, very hard to find for the way that the horse is built to consume food and to retain nutrients. So it's these little, uh, it's these little tidbits right there that I really enjoy and I do find to be just very hilarious and part of sort of the di- dichotomy and the dynamics of the world. Another really fun one is they essentially formed the elephant from King Kong because they made this ginormous gorilla and that was, and everyone's like, oh, that's King Kong right there. That's what King Kong is, and obviously it doesn't work, but. They have genuine scientific explanation as to why King Kong can't exist. His, you know, the weight is too big and he can't and he can't stand on two feet. On top of that, he has fur all over his body and he overheats. But then if you take off all the fur, it still doesn't do anything because he's still because of like the way his body is structured and his bone is structured, he's still going to be utterly useless. And so and eventually they just turned King Kong into an elephant to ex- and then scientifically explain why the elephants can exist and operate biologically despite being so big they don't overheat their weight isn't too heavy or anything like that so it's yeah and I it definitely is a good fit for me because of the fact that I just simply really love animals I I, I just have a weird thing about liking animals. I grew up watch, like reading a lot of animal encyclopedias because I was just so obsessed of learning everything about them. And so, yeah, that is a science and anime um, and the world and its functionality that I thought was utilized very well and very well made for me. And I promise you guys that there is an adorable episode of otters that everyone would agree with is absolutely correct. So. Oh, it is so cute. I remember that otter scene very well. I was like, oh, no, my heart mm-hmm. its getting warm and fuzzy. And I think the funny thing about the otters was that they kind of self-designed because every time uh, one of, I forgot which character it was, but he eats a lot and he just sees everything as food. Every time he tries to suggest like an improvement to their biology that would make them considerably less cute but you know essentially functionable the otters would find a way around it to remain cuter you know (laughs) the otters were by fate's design was like no you cannot change me i am cute (laughs) exactly so yeah uh what did you guys think about you know heaven design team isabel i don't actually know if you've seen that anime or not obviously agnes you have uh how did you feel about its usage of science actual real life science in this case but science to the world and the characters um i haven't personally seen it so yeah i would have no background on it um agnes you probably have more to say because you've been talking about sharing those scenes or know about the otters and things like that i'm just curious what you guys are your favorite animals in the series that you saw or you're just your favorite animals in general if you have one. Oh, i see okay um i really liked it i'm not somebody who studied zoology but i greatly appreciated like the fantastical side where they kind of finagle with the whole building the model of the animal and then also backing up with some real life science explanation and it actually sounds very plausible from like a fantasy standpoint too it doesn't feel super far-fetched and it feels like 
you kind of want to learn more about zoology than anything else. So I actually really liked it. And the fact that it, it's also a show that doesn't take itself super seriously, too. It's not like a show that says, like, evolution is end-all, be-all. Because as we know, there are some people that don't believe in evolution. But it's a very fun and relaxing show to just sit down and for them to just explain, like, how do animals work? And then also bring in the side of, like, the mythical animals and why would that not function? I thought that was super interesting that they decided to take the mythical animals and put a twist on it and talk about why it wouldn't work and say that that is possibly the reason why they don't exist in our real life as well. Um, in terms of my favorite animal, I don't have a lot of favorite animals only because, you know, I'm not somebody who's into zoology. Um, but I do like felines in general, so like cats small cats, big cats type of thing, tigers, lions, you know, pretty basic stuff. So I would say that's where I like my animals. What about you, Gracie? I'm on the opposite end. <laughs> I like the dogs. <laughs> oh, you like the dogs? <laughs> <laughs> my favorite animal is the wolf, and it has been the wolf for right. a very, very long time. That that hasn't changed, actually. So Funnily enough, uh, one of my my animal did get featured ish in the show, but in this case, they actually did create a myth a mythical creature that should would not live on Earth, but because they were creating essentially a mascot for hell, to put simply, they could. Oh, I remember this yeah, episode. They could bend oh the <laughs> laws of science from Earth to hell, where hell is a lot more flexible. So. Uh, they made uh, Keberus, is that how you pronounce his name, or Severus? I actually yeah. don't know. I think it's, I think it's mostly, I think most people call it Severus. Severus, okay. But it's the three-headed dog that Hades is very famous for having. And on that side note, just a quick aside, because I do love Greek mythology, Hades is just such like a family man, if you think about it at the end of the day, because his motto is, don't mess with my dog, my wife, my kids, my job, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, his brothers go fuck off and just screw every mortal's life in the meantime. And he's and Hades is like, nah, nah, can't do that. That's low. Yeah, it always cracks me up because Zeus and Poseidon don't get along at all. And part of the things they fight over is Zeus like complains that Poseidon does things that aren't great to girls. And he's just like, uh, to put it lightly, actually. But, but Zeus gets really upset because Zeus is just like, you have no game. If you have no game, just back off. And meanwhile, Hades is like, they're the one person who's like in a very stable marriage. <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, anyway, so they created Keberus and I, and basically how they created the created Keberus is that they noted as to why the animal wouldn't work on Earth and, you know, essentially what laws of science that hell bends that allows it to work. But even then, they still had to figure out, they had to do some finessing. So a cool thing that they do in the show is when they create the models and it doesn't work, they actually have to go back to the workshop and tweak it to make it work, almost like an iterative design and engineering. And so... Essentially, what happened was when they first tried it, the bodies couldn't decide which way to go because it had three brains. And when it had three brains, all the brains had some uh, some part of control over the body. And so the legs were just going all over the place. So it couldn't properly walk or stand. And so then they had to change it where one brain is more dominant than the other. So the nervous system and every and the functionality of the body is more connected to one of the heads over the other two. And so they so then they did that to the middle uh, head, which makes sense because, you know, if you do one to the left or the right, they're going to walk kind of lopsided in that case because uh, their perspective, quite literally, would be different. And so... So they did that, but then they noticed that uh, Keberus would have to eat a lot because they're powering three large brains, and wolves in particular apparently don't really have an like an understanding of feeling full, and that has to do with the fact that hunting takes a lot of energy, and and it's also why wolves are known for hunting down bigger prey than they are going after smaller prey because it. They expend a lot of energy, so they require a lot of energy in return to continue the cycle. And because of that, they don't have a they don't have something like humans and a lot of other animals do of, oh man, I've 
eaten enough, like I can't eat anymore or my stomach is going to burst because that rarely, if ever, happens. So that was another thing is that this wouldn't work on Earth because they would just eat everything in its existence. But because they are a mascot of hell, they don't have to worry about that per se. And there's also a funny moment where they... um where they gave the three dogs or the three heads like different personalities and like hobbies. And then the three of them started fighting with each other <laughs> because they didn't like each other's hobbies and tastes. And so that caused like a slight obstacle before it was resolved because they made up with each other that I thought was really funny. So yeah, that is Heaven Design Team. I only have a little bit left to talk about the example I don't like, but I actually think it's fitting that way because I'm gonna put it simply. I really don't like the science in the irregular of Magic High School or something like that. Uh, what's the full name? Yep, that that sounds about okay. right. Yeah, we can just call it irregular. Okay. Or Mahoka. Yeah, Mahoka. See, we that's all know what, what I know it as. Yeah, I know it as Mahoka rather than the full English name. But yeah, irregular or Mahoka. I didn't like the science there because to be completely honest with you guys, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> And I tried. That was actually like an anime. I tried to understand the scientific explanation behind the magic. But dear Lord, I couldn't understand a single thing. I don't know how it fits into the story as to why some supposedly possess more magic powers over the other, even though that's stupid because Tatsuya, who's the guy who doesn't quote unquote possess that scientific thing to have magic powers is undoubtedly the most powerful one out of all of them. So I'm like, doesn't that just mean he has a lot of power? Like, I just, I don't understand the logic behind it at all. And at a certain point, they keep giving me exposition about it that I just turned my brain off. I just, I'm just like, okay, okay, whatever you guys say. I, I don't agree with it. I don't know anything about it. I'm not even going to attempt to understand it. But, you know, sure, go ahead with those mumble jumble. <laughs> so... <laughs> It not only compounds with the fact that you don't like Miyuki, but you also can't like wrap your head around a series like that in terms of its magic. It just really shows like how poorly executed the series was as a whole. I know. It's, so here's the funny thing is it's actually because I despise Miyuki that I tried a little harder as to understand the world and the science <laughs> Because You tried to compensate. Exactly. I tried to compensate the thing. So like I mentioned earlier, sci-fi is just not really a genre that clicks with me. The sci-fi that I can deal with often are because I just fall so much in love with the characters, the world aside, that I could just blare through all those other stories or all those exposition or ex like scientific explanation where I don't pay attention. <laughs> I skim it or I just like kind of just enjoy the scenery <laughs> more than anything else. And then pay attention to the characters in that case. But in Irregular's case, because I hated one of the main characters so much, I was like, okay, I'm going to attempt to understand the world and the scientific explanations for the magic for once to compensate for the fact that I just simply can't stand one of the characters of one of the main characters. And I have to deal with her for the rest of the series because I know she's not going to die, even if I very, very much would like her to die. Well, <laughs> it, it, it backfired because obviously I didn't understand crap. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically that's all I have for a bad example of like science being used in world building and character development and all the shebang. It's irregular. It makes no sense. And, you know, you guys can call me stupid if you want. I, I'm not going to, you know, get angry or anything like that. It's just the truth of the matter is I don't understand it at all. So... <laughs> I think, I mean, I don't mind sci-fi. There are, like, certain boundaries where I'll watch sci-fi that I'm like, okay, it's kind of going over my head versus, like, some sci-fi. I'm like, okay, this is fine. Mahoka literally does not explain anything in the first three episodes at all. All the magic and the technology usage, it's literally thrown in your face. You have no background. You have no basis. It's not like watching a Gundam like series where they kind of explain things for you and you kind of get the gist of it even though it's a bunch of mecha and flying in space but Mahoka literally throws you in the fire and you have no idea what the exposition is even talking about 
I feel that Mahoka as a light novel might be better because there's more information in there, but the anime just brutally cut it so much and skipped way into the harem and fan service part that I was like, damn, I have no understanding of this magic system science explanation whatsoever. And it doesn't help um, that so my- if they just recite it and they say it like it's so obvious, you know, like, oh, la la Yeah, they kind of recite it like it's rote. I think it, 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 what makes it even worse is that they kind of recite it as if, like, you know, it's a... It's like a biology memorization yeah, class uh-huh. where you just kind of you just kind of speak it and you just recite it and then that's how you get an A on the test. Yes. <laughs> the reality is like it doesn't work like that. Uh, so that's how I felt about Mahoka. So don't feel too bad, Gracie. I also felt rather overwhelmed with Mahoka, even though there were so many people who really liked Mahoka. But I think at the end of the day, Mahoka got a lot of its notoriety from Miyuki as like the the brocon and. People stopped hyping it up after a while, so I wonder if people also got tired of trying to figure out the science system while watching the anime. Um, how do you feel about it, Isabel? Oh no, I haven't seen it, so please continue. It, I mean, oh! for me, <laughs> the fact that it has magic, I al- already would have probably turned off my brain and not understood if it's magic. I would be like, okay, it can it, anything can happen, right? But it sounds like even if anything can happen, it's hard for you guys to understand it, so... Yeah, it's kind of weird because it's not like Kekai Sunsen where, you know, it's like very specific genetics that can have like powers, like supernatural powers. Like, you know how KK and like Klaus, they have like certain genetics inside of them. Yeah, like their bloodline or something, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. like their bloodline, stuff like that. Mahoka doesn't really offer that, but there is like a slice of genetics somewhere because Tatsuya is supposed to be something else and he's like Miyuki's half-brother, but like kind of... No, 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 no. They are... Full siblings, no? full-blooded siblings, but but apparently it's not incest because Miyuki went through a bunch of experimentation that apparently changed her DNA. So DNA-wise, they're no longer siblings, even though they both had the same had parents of the same egg and sperm. Yeah. <laughs> See, okay, that's another edge of weird science in anime that does not make any sense and makes you kind of like scratch your head like, oh, okay, Japan, okay. This is a perfect example of how science in anime can get really weird and not make any sense, not even to the degree of if it like molecularly makes sense, but to the degree of like story-wise and character development, like why do they need to be siblings in the first place? Then? Yeah, I know exactly, and uh, and also I'm like, no, dude, they're they're still siblings. Like I I don't care if you say their DNA is different somehow magically after experimentation. Like it doesn't work that way. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch much of Mahoka. I dropped it after like four episodes and I was like, yeah, I don't understand anything in this. So don't worry, Gracie. I'm 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 with you on this side of the boat. Huzzah. Well, alrighty. <laughs> I am ready to pass the baton in this case. I have done my duty as the non-STEM major. So Isabel, it is now your turn. Do you uh, have an example for us of a good utilization of science and make? it making sense in their world and do you have a bad example for us as well yeah the first example that i enjoyed um it comes from shogugeki no soma or food wars oh okay okay especially for um the kind of like the food science behind it and i never really thought of as a science but if you really think about you know the foods that we eat the fact that they're made out of molecules and then especially the levels of like acid for example and there's reasons mm-hmm. why you don't mix some foods together because yeah. that can give you a stomach ache and stuff um so yeah i really especially like the character alice uh naki uh, and her yeah. background yeah her the whole thing is uh molecular gas- gastronomy so mm, that's interesting yeah i'm always interested in her techniques because i feel like her dishes were always so beautifully presented and they always had an air of mystery about them. And I mean, she gets plus points for maybe using like size lab materials, like test tubes as a presentation. Oh, God. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or using like a centrifuge to make like, a, I think some type a of... A centrifuge? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> How much money did they have oh, to put oh, on the show and to don't get forget a centrifuge of all She's things. from the Nakiri family. Then the Nakiri family is mm-hmm. filthy rich, so... <laughs> Oh, okay, there you go. But I was going to say, like, you're going to lug a fat centrifuge on stage, kind of have it give it a little whirl, <laughs> and 
and just make your gastronomy. Sorry, that's that's very like unbelievable to me for somebody who uses like centrifuges and a lot of these machines at work. But at the same time, it's also very amusing in the context of molecular gastronomy. So go ahead, yeah. Yeah, so like when she participates in a, in a shogugeki, it's just funny to see her, her tools versus the other person's tools and how she's like testing everything to like the tea uh, and things like that. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the one of the more interesting ones I really like was her. Um, I think her arrangement for the tamari sushi. So it was kind of like a bento box, and it had like I think it had about maybe it was maybe like a four by three row. So a different different. Um, sushi pieces put into each one um and even as she presented that i didn't even know there was like a bento type thing inside it was just when they present when she presented it to the judges it was kind of like a dome a white dome that you couldn't see through so apparently she had oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah i know the 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 chemical you're talking about they do that a lot in gastronomic cooking yeah yeah so i think it was liquid nitrogen i think just to make yeah, it chilled and then so it kind of gave off that smoky um presence and you know you couldn't see until you actually opened it so when they opened it they were presented with this box so you know that obviously appealed to the judges like wow the, you know opening this up and then uh looking at the food that she also arranged uh, in a particular order so as she as you went down the line like eating the first row the second row and third row you know it would collectively it would taste you know taste better as you moved on and so the the way that she just curated that i thought was interesting and then um especially how she separated kind of the top row with all the seafood and things like that um, and then cutting the vegetables as well um, in the middle row and thanks to all this she's able to present that in in a way that the judges liked it and the people were really interested in it so yeah, I think most of her dishes are interesting, and also a lot of the other um, people with like spices and things like that, and combining all those. Obviously, I am not a food science major, so I can't tell you details about food. <laughs> but from the YouTube videos I watched and people actually being able to recreate the dishes, oh, that's I was cool. very excited to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gastronomic uh, molecular gastronomy is really fascinating. Um, I think a couple years ago, one of my relatives actually gifted me, you know, like how you have so- like little science kits that you can play around with when you're a kid, mm-hmm. like make potion, like perfumes and stuff like that. I was actually gifted a very nice and semi-expensive uh, science kit for gastronomic cooking. So it had like a bunch of like agars and like pouches and stuff and like test tubes and pipettes that you can use to actually make like gastronomic cooking and recreate some of those dishes that they have in the pamphlet. And I was like, whoa, this is kind of cool. So when you started talking about that in Shokugeki no Soma, like I could totally see it as very science-y because that is like an actual thing. It's been something that a lot of people have been super fascinated about for like the last, I don't know, like decade. But there's always that kind of like element of like fantasy or kind of like that element of not real because there's so many different combinations that you can make and we don't know what the limitations of molecular gastronomy is so that's really cool that you can spot like that i'm actually kind of inclined to watch shokugeki no soma just to see that tamari i was gonna say that even if it doesn't work when you're watching it it makes sense in context and you buy it which shows Mm -hmm. that it was successfully (laughs) integrated into the story Yeah, I I mean, guess like I said, molecular gastronomy is the coolest thing you can ever do. Um, several years ago, when I was a teenager, I had the opportunity to volunteer at a gala, and at the gala they were having it was like a gingerbread gala, and the entire evening they would have a bunch of gingerbread houses around the areas that you can vote for, and they also brought in like top line chefs from around the area, lined at the edges of the gala. And one of the chefs is actually very notorious, not very famous. He recently retired in the last two years, but he was a very famous uh, gastronomic cook in San Diego. And I got to try one of his creations. And I was Ooh. also like, and I took a bite out of one of his creations. And I was, and when I exhaled, I was billowing smoke from liquid nitrogen. And I think one that dish he was he mentioned that it was kind of like inspired from like a dragon where you're like spewing like smoke out of your mouth and that's what you were doing with the liquid nitrogen. And I thought that was the coolest I had ever seen when I was a young teenager for molecular gastronomy. So 
that got me kind of excited when he started talking about it. Oh yeah, definitely. I feel like that seeing that is really cool, and then it's always like a wonder just to see it, and then want to try it and want to buy that food. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I totally agree with Gracie as well. They actually explain the concepts very well, or make it seem like it makes sense in the show at least. One of my favorite explanation they did is, and this isn't with Alice specifically, but they were talking about the mala flavor that comes from the Sichuan area Mm. from China. Mm -hmm. And they basically said that there is an addictiveness to how the peppers and the flavors work to the brain and how it stimulates the brain, which is why most people, when they first start off with mala, they're kind of like, oh my gosh, what is this? My mouth is burning. My tongue is numb. And then they go back and then they go back and they go back for more and more and more. And I just find that really funny because I do think that's a pretty accurate sort of summary of how people who first discover the mala flavor act and then and then they just keep going back for it because it was so different and unusual compared to anything else that they've experienced and i i also thought it was funny because apparently i someone it, it accidentally coincided with another tweet that I saw recently when I have been uh, thinking about the mala stuff in the shokugeki is that someone was just like, I noticed my spice levels were uh, my like my ability to take spices had gone up and I don't know why. And so she Googled it and it was and the answer was literally like, you are probably depressed because when you're depressed, the way that the way you're like with the dopamine and stuff, the mala flavor stimulates the dopamine more. So you want more of the spiciness because it's literally making you happier. <laughs> so, and she, Ouch. Yeah. Damn. Um. Like, Oh, great. (laughs) So I thought that was just a really funny thing how it coincided. It made me think of Shokugeki as well with them being like, yeah, Mala is actually addictive. And I'm like, well, there's your answer. (laughs) (laughs) The wonders of food and the things that we do for food, right? (laughs) That's right. Uh, Alrighty then. So if that is obviously your example of a good one, what do you have for an example of a bad one where you're like, the science doesn't make any sense in context of the story and stuff? Yeah, the next one I have, it's not something that um, that I think is totally bad, but I think I was questioning a lot of it. Um, and that's from Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Oh, okay. Talk mm-hmm. to me about Cyberpunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like I, I really love the concept and I just really love like everything Cyberpunk about it. But when I actually think about like, especially when the characters are like chroming up and putting parts onto oh, their absolutely. body, I yeah. question everything. And like just like starting off when David um, gets to Sandivistan, or as they mm-hmm. call it, Sandy, I think Sandy's easier. So I'm going to call it that. But when he gets the Sandy like put into him like it's basically like a spine thing to my like basically has you look at it and when he you know when they put that in he's able to kind of you know you know stimulate it and then he's able to move pretty much like super fast right where it basically it feels like he stopped time in order to do something really fast right right yeah well i i didn't even think about this but if timing wise technically it's impossible it's just way too fast i don't know like um but then the fact that he got that implanted into his body, I just thought, from like a neural standpoint, I don't understand how that's oh, possible. Oh, Isabel, <laughs> you're a, yeah. you like a neural major or something like that? Okay. Yeah, neurobiology. Yeah. Like nerves are like everywhere throughout your body. So like the fact that you're just putting like a mechanical piece that's supposed to replace your spine. I think that's just crazy. Like, yeah. yeah, there's there's also a lot there's a lot of discussion about uh, medical implants for a lot of people, and some of these medical implants aren't foolproof. Like, they can degrade inside of your body, or they can release like a lot of toxic toxicity from the like metal ions inside the metal piece. So, technically, medical implants and like metals, like the sandy, could do a lot worse to your body in addition to you know completely frazzling your nerves like the sandy did Mm -hmm. yeah like basically you know it's basically frying your brain as they put it throughout the series and edge runners um 
But then, yeah, just having that in there. I do like the concept, though, of immunosuppressors that they have to take after mm-hmm. they do, after they basically buff up with each implant that they get. That kind of makes sense because after you, you know, for example, get a surgery or something, you usually want to get some type of, you know, antibiotics and immunosuppressors, you know, just in case things don't match up or, you know, just want to make sure you have a good recovery. Um, Wait, uh, why is that? Sorry if that's a dumb question, but I really don't know. <laughs> uh, it's because of uh, you want to suppress a lot of the inflammation that comes with these surgeries. Oh. Um, because it's like an invasion of your body. So the immunosuppressors would like tamper down on the inflammation so that your body gets used to it. Especially if you have like a surgery uh, where you're like you're grafting skin or you're like knitting back muscle or something like that. Or if you're doing like organ implants as well, um, let's say like a, a liver transplant or something like that, that you want to make sure that the body doesn't reject the organ and it keeps it there and it recognizes that this is now part of your body. So you take immunosuppressors Oh, uh, basically telling your immune system to like chill out a bit sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there's instances where it doesn't chill out. I think... When- I saw a video recently where um, I think a, a doctor was like crushing what I thought were like boobs on a table, but actually they're just breast implants, and mm-hmm. it actually had calcified. So the body had the body had produced oh calcium God. to basically reject this implant from yeah. its body, and that's how they get you know hard. And some people do have to take those implants out out because it hurts. Right? Oh my so, God! I didn't not... know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the risk that comes with a uh, breast, uh, like breast increase with um, like breast surgery and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing to consider. I thought that was scary. I mean, technically it's safe, right? Because they do do that for so many patients. But I also just seeing that, I was like, oh, I didn't know that could happen either. You know, it's your body fully just rejecting this thing. So, yeah, that's one of the things in cyberpunk. Um, just for David getting the sandy, and then later on him just getting kind of like the full thing at one point i was like so david like how do you go to the bathroom technically you're still you have a brain and stuff you're still producing biological waste i think where you know where does that come out because he's like fully like a cyborg where a lot of the other characters are cyborgs too and i'm just wondering where where did the biological aspect go other than the fact that you know you have a brain um and then also I think there there's also the characters like Kiwi and Oh yeah, who, Kiwi. Who just like who does a deep dive as they call it and she's in a tub but she's plugged in. And I'm I'm just thinking like that's that's like an electrical hazard, right? We don't put blow dryers in tubs. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> I don't, yeah, these are things that going in my, going in my thoughts. So you, you can see I take it like way too far and way too literally when it's just sci-fi. But I don't know, like you guys have watched it too. Like, did that any like occur to you at all? Or <laughs> I was a little bit more okay with cyberpunk because I was kind of prepped beforehand what to expect from cyberpunk. So I kind of like detached and severed all of my normal world understanding of biology and cyborg and sci-fi and just kind of like implanted myself into the cyberpunk universe and not really think twice about it but now that you talk about how like kiwi like plugs herself in and she's in like an ice bath you're like damn girl <laughs> hope you don't get fried <laughs> in there but yeah that is a really fascinating observation i didn't even think twice about it because i was just watching uh, edge runners just because it was like on netflix and it was uh animated by trigger I think this is actually part of the reason why I have a bit of trouble with the sci-fi world as a whole is that at least when it comes to fantasy, they tend to just be like, oh, it's magic. And that, you know, that's it, that there's there's no other question to it. And it's a lot easier for me to just handle the fact that this is just not real, period, you know, than it is for. Well, actually, there is scientific backing to potentially make this work. And here it is that I think that part right there is what always gets me because I'm always just like, really, though, is it really possible? (laughs) You know, and uh, it always kind of takes me out of the world, per se. So I so I did not finish Cyberpunk. The fall season has started and I basically decided that I did not care for it enough to continue watching it alongside my 22 other anime that I am already watching this season. So I didn't get very far per se, but 
I've all I was also at that point of irregular where I was like, I'm just not gonna question anything. I'm just gonna accept it as it comes and let the let the anime hurt my eyes. So <laughs> <laughs> Poor you. Yeah, the anime was not meant for you. Yeah, eyes. no, my my eyes are very sensitive, but I mean I have very bad eyesight, to say the least. I, I don't know if anyone's like worn glasses as early as me, but I had glasses like since second grade, so I, I think I've met, like, two other people who had, like, glasses as early as that. But most people were a little after me. So, uh, so yeah, I have very bad eyes, and I have very sensitive eyes. And so that the the flashiness of cyberpunk worlds as a whole is just not a good match for me physically either. So, yeah. Uh, alrighty then. Did, were, were there any other stuff you wanted to mention from cyberpunk specifically? Uh, no, not right. Just similar to you, kind of like thinking about sci-fi. I think I take it as an, yeah, like you said, how you think of this, like, is this really possible? And I always think, yes, somehow we can make it happen. This is why we have Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> like, this is the goal in 2077. That's, that's how I always think, like, really optimistically that these sci-fi shows kind of pave the way for science because they're kind of ideas that look fake now but i think it's possible in the future uh so that's why i always look at look at it in more like is this you know a realistic lens i said i would say so, so that it can be i can see things that are produced towards that and making that vision possible yeah just being super optimistic well, I, guess. I will say about the implant thing what, when you guys were talking about you know the dangers of it and stuff like that is i did remember seeing uh, several years back they have been trying to hopefully make like these implants work in eyes to hopefully cure people's blindness who are just born genetically blind and I thought that was a really fascinating thing I mean obviously it hasn't worked yet and or else you know we would know about it and stuff like that but it was something they were really hoping to uh, get successfully correct so you know they are making their way towards it but you know as you pointed out Isabel that was several years back and obviously there's been no sound uh, of that working yet even if it's just by fluke of it working so it's got a lot to go for before i can reach that point <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah definitely Alrighty then so i think that just leaves the floor to you now agnes it is your turn to talk about a good and a bad example of how science was integrated to the world and why it is yeah for sure um, so my first one is actually going to be a bit of a long shot when I first mentioned it, um, but it is actually from Mortary the Patriot. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so a while ago when this series was airing, I actually published an article related to it. Um, if you want to look it up on Anime Trending for the audience, it's called Mortary the Patriot, A Study in Queening. And... So my background is uh, similar to Isabel's. Uh, I was a STEM student. I majored in pharmaceutical sciences. So I studied a lot about how different, you know, chemicals and molecules interact with each other to produce whatever side effect or outcome for the patient. So, you know, typical stuff that a pharmacy student would have learned or somebody who's going into industry. And one scene that I found really interesting in Mortary the Patriot was actually the scene of a viscount who refused to treat a young sick boy from a couple, um, a, a gardener and his wife who lived on the estate. They had a very sick son and the Viscount refused to get him treated. And as a result, this couple turns to Mortiari as a way to ask for revenge. And Mortiari decides that he will capitalize on the fact that their Viscount actually has an ailing heart. He has a heart, he has like heart palpitations inside of him. And he takes a anti-malarial drug that can also be used to quell heart palpitations called quinine, which has existed in Europe since like the 1600s when it was introduced. And the way that they did this was they decided to pose Burton and his wife as different household servants within the manor. And... And Mortiardi would be sort of like this merchant who comes strolling in and is trying to offer some deals to the Viscount. And he offers a very particular item. And that item is the grapefruit, which is a tropical fruit that is found in all sorts of places in the world now. And is was supposed to be like a very luxurious uh, a, um, commodity. And also Europe very delicious. I and just want to add that. <laughs> 
yes, <laughs> grapefruit is very delicious. It's very nutritious as well. And so Moriarty, so Moriarty poses himself as this merchant selling the grapefruit to kind of entice the Viscount because the Viscount is also a big fan of anything exotic. Um, you will see in a lot of the still shots for Mordor the Patriot in that episode where they're seated in a botanical garden that has all of these very exotic looking tropical plants. So the grapefruit was definitely an option for the Viscount to buy if he was interested. And as the Viscount drank the um the grapefruit juice, he decided he started feeling a bit weird. And he started kind of like convulsing even and Moriarty says, oh, I am so sorry. Oh, here, why don't you take some of your medicine? Because his medicine would try to quell some of the heart palpitations that he had. And when he drank the the palpitations, it actually killed him. And that was the way that Moriarty planned to have the whole assassination revenge plot for the couple against the Viscount. And I remember watching this and I'm like, wait a second. Grapefruit is really, really familiar. And it turns out that in my studies while I was a student at university, grapefruit is actually one of the fruits that doctors recommend that you do not drink when you're on medication because um, there's a lot of more deep, heavy scientific background to it. But grapefruit basically is a contraindication against many medicines and it can actually kill you if it's combined the wrong way, essentially. So I was like, wow, they actually threw in some hardcore actual science stuff that I learned in school into a show that I would have never expected it to ever happen, especially from a show that takes place in the 1800s in the middle Victorian London, where science is still kind of like, ooh, up in the air kind of thing, right? So that was really interesting to me. I did do a deeper dive into figuring out why exactly um, grapefruit would contradict with the anti-malarial medication that the Viscount had. And there are some discrepancies in there, which kind of paints it more slightly fantastical, not quite scientifically accurate. But given the time period that it is 1800s Victorian, I was like, all right, I'll give it a pass. I, I think it, it works Yeah, out. let's it not forget, Victorian-era kids' toys had lead painted over it, so... <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of hazardous issues during Victorian uh, era. So yeah, there's that. So first thing is, I was really surprised when you picked Moriarty the Patriot. But when you started talking, I actually remember they used sites quite a bit, like including uh, Sherlock in the second part. Yeah. Specifically, when he was the only one who figured out, like, I mean, he didn't poke, uh, he didn't reveal it because obviously the whole point is Moriarty keeps the trail too clean to to pinpoint it to him but Sherlock knows it's him and it's not the guy that they framed and essentially he was examining the dead body in particular about how like necrosis sets in and where it would start and why and stuff like that and I was and I was very surprised about like well I'm like of course Sherlock would know about these things but I realize that that also ties in with what you were saying about how where they use the grapefruit and combined it with the combined it with the medicine, how it killed the person that they actually used it quite a bit. And Sherlock also used it as well in regards to figuring out cases and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just fascinating. Like I knew Sherlock because I used to read some of Sherlock Holmes when I was younger, that Sherlock is an amazingly astute man and that his rival Moriarty is also very, oh. very smart. But I didn't expect the anime to like toss actual science oh, references oh, oh, in oh, there. Oh, oh. Moriarty is a chemistry professor, isn't he? <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, he is a chemistry professor uh, in London. But also, like, chemistry back then was kind of jigged. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I have to be completely honest. They did not finalize the periodic table until the 1900s before World War I started, okay? I'm, I'm pretty sure if they studied chemistry, like, and really understood, they wouldn't have lead painted on children's toys. So, yeah. Exactly, yeah. They, they knew chemistry, but they kind of didn't know chemistry at that time. <laughs> Let's just say Moriarty was ahead of his time, <laughs> mentally speaking. Yeah, very ahead of his time, yes. <laughs> did you watch Moriarty, uh, Isabel? I did not, unfortunately. Okay, well, the men are hot. Damn, if you Isabel want... missing out. <laughs> if you want a little enticement, the men are hot. So... <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, they're all the Vishojo looking men. They got like uh, very lanky figures, very um, 
striking color schemes. Yeah, they they look like a boy band, but they're great. Oh my god, boy band detectives. Okay, they do look yeah, like boy band well, boy band criminals. But yes, <laughs> they oh, do look like me, a criminals. boy band. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Alrighty then. So, uh, if that is your example of a good one, what do you have for a bad one then? <laughs> For a bad one, I feel like this should be very obvious because we did talk about this a lot at length in private discussions and with the staff. Um, and my pick for this episode is going to be Wonder Egg Priority because I, for my life, did not appreciate the insertion of science. It's not to the point where the science doesn't make sense. It was just that the science was not needed overall in the plot. So for many of us who watch Wonder Egg Priority and for the audience who may have not watched it, it's a show that talks about these girls that go into different dimensions and they are asked to basically clean out all like these demons and like things that are festering inside like these alternate dimensions. And a lot of these creatures that are born in these alternate dimensions are usually from some kind of trauma or some kind of psychosis and things like that. So when most people were watching Wonder Egg Priority, they had the feeling that the show was going to center around psychological issues and societal issues that impart those psychological issues, essentially. And a lot of people were obviously very excited for it. But, however, the second half of Wonder Egg Priority introduces a completely unwarranted scientific element that a lot of the traumas that the girls are experiencing and have to fight through is actually induced by a young girl who is essentially kind of like an AI that is triggering all of these traumatic things like dream sequences that are happening. And that just completely ejected me from watching Wonder Egg Priority because I was like, there is absolutely no way that this scientific explanation of this Wonder Girl AI machine thing that turns rogue against other girls is a plausible scientific explanation to psychology that we experience in the first half of this show. So obviously I was very upset with Wonder Egg Priority. I did not watch the last ending, the last episode, just to kind of save myself from the horror of this dumpster show, a dumpster fire of a show. Uh, but yeah, that's my complaint for Wonder Egg Priority. Yeah, I like how you said that it, while it isn't necessarily that the science doesn't make sense, it's more of the fact that it was just not necessary because I do agree with that. In a weird way, the first time they introduced it with the use of, oh gosh, what's her name? It's the it's the AI girl with like the long red hair and stuff. Her name's just I, oh, right? Oh, yeah, that I yeah, yeah. It is I, just I so as in love, I, right? It's AI, but yeah, I. Yeah, exactly. So God, I... That gets worse. I did like it just for that episode because of what the show was clearly trying to say. These two grown men are lonely, and so they made a specifically right on the bridge of uh, puberty girl to be like, obsessed with them and love them and like shower them with affection so they don't feel so they don't feel lonely and the second that they do find real life humans to replace that loneliness they discard her and so you can tell what the writer was trying to do and portray and say about society as a whole with it definitely the problem was how they extended it into the rest of the story. If it was just like a, this was something that happened in the past sort of thing, then I, and then they just let it go, I could actually be okay with it. But it's the fact that they then pivot it to, and so she's the reason why all these young, you know, teenage girls are committing suicide. And then she has like these other weird bug AIs who are like, killing the main character's pets and you know la 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 and that's where it just jumped the shark for me at least <laughs> absolutely yeah it was so jarring just watching it and it's that explanation of science that i feel japan has a tendency to insert a lot of things when they feel that they're at their wits end when it comes to the wrapping up the plot of their story and it doesn't help solve anything. It just makes the audience feel even more out of place and question more things rather than kind of enjoy the show for what it is. Exactly. And another thing I still really dislike, I know the boys don't think it's a big deal, but I'm just going to air my grievances here to you guys, is 
That's fine. It's a safe space. <laughs> when Nehru got revealed uh, revealed to be an AI, I still think that's a terrible choice. I don't know why. I feel like it just takes away the buildup and the experience of sort of how she struggles with, like, girlhood, essentially. Because there was an episode where, um, where Airi and, oh gosh, I don't remember anyone's names anymore. <laughs> I have to look this up real. The girls, yeah, yeah the girls. Yeah, so there's, uh, of the girls, there's like two of them who, um, oh no, I is the main character's name. Frill is the AI girl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, It's been yeah. a while. Oops. It has been a while. So basically what happened was I and Rika went off because they both have sort of family situations that are a little more unique and they can understand better than the others do. But then... There was also a scene, um, during that scene, uh, Nehru and Momoe were together. And uh, specifically, Nehru knew that she accidentally pissed off Rika. And that wasn't her intention at all. She just was speaking bluntly was all it is. But Nehru said that she always feels like she isn't girl enough because, or maybe she's not made out to be a girl because of the fact that she is very blunt and direct. And she doesn't really like, she doesn't really care about people's emotional states as much or neither does she care much about her own and stuff like that. And because of that, she always feels like she's sort of out of the girlhood sphere, which is why Momoe is perfect to talk to, because while Momoe emotionally sort of aligns with the idea of femininity and girlhood a lot more, physically she doesn't look that way. She likes a more androgynous look. That's just the way she likes to look. And, you know, that's always been her choice of look as well. And so it's a perfect moment with two girls who had struggles with their femininity and, you know, the idea of being part of girlhood, one that's more emotional, internally based, and one that's more uh, physical, outside based, you know, coming together and reassuring each other that they do belong in girlhood. I think changing Nehru to an AI to explain why she's so, like, cold and empty and emotionless and that's why she's so direct and blunt I don't know. That just, to me, feels really irresponsible because that's an actual thing. There are genuinely girls out there who are colder and blunter and don't really connect with their emotional side and don't really, you know, read people's emotions as easily and stuff like that who have expressed the fact that they don't feel like they belong with girlhood. So I think taking that away from them by saying, oh, Nehru's like more cold than others because she's an AI is just such a slap in the face to me. The boys think I'm overreacting in this regard, but I still hold very strong to that sort of opinion I have of it. I think that is a very valid response because I was saying that if Wonder Egg Priority was originally supposed to be a show that talks about societal issues and behavioral issues, mental issues and stuff like that. They could have just easily created Nehru as somebody who was maybe neurodivergent and therefore expressed certain uh, motives like this, such as being more cold, more blunt and stuff like that, rather than just an AI. And I think the other thing that actually, now that you mentioned about it, that kind of makes me feel a bit awkward about it all is the fact that Nehru is the first iteration is the first mention that there's a scientific backing to wonder egg priority which feels very strange in retrospect because the first half of the entire show is not related to sci-fi at all and i feel like nehru having that ai link was kind of like their nudge to start going towards the sci-fi direction without any kind of prompting or any kind of um gradual ease of the audience into the show that it was going to be more sci-fi you know so it actually now in retrospect feels more jarring than anything else yeah exactly exactly uh isabel you've been kind of quiet <laughs> what what are your thoughts <laughs> other than the fact that i dropped wonder egg early before i even got to the sci-fi oh oh then never mind <laughs> yeah. i guess you know what? That's a good thing because that means you avoided the worst part of Wonder Egg priority. Yeah, but then you just stating like how this became kind of like an answer for their problems or like how that um, how they pivoted into sci-fi, especially when I had seen the earlier episodes and I was like, this is a dream world that I cannot relate with and I don't understand what the heck is going on. Just reminds me of other like movies I've seen where literally I watch the whole thing and then like the, and the ending is like, oh. We were like in an AI world type of dream. Yes. We were a robot this whole time. 
I hate that. No, it's a thing. I hate, and then I hate the movie forever. <laughs> they keep doing that, yeah. though. Why? Like, and I'm, and I don't. I, I'm just saying, movies as a whole, they have been really yeah. liking to employ that twist as of late, or quote unquote twist as of late. <laughs> it's it's two pronged. One, I think, is shock factor. They think it's a, still a big shock factor to use, and second of all, they don't know how to salvage their ending. They don't know they when they planned out the plot for the movie. They're like, "Oh, these are some really cool ideas," and then they get to the apex. They're like, "How do we end this?" And so they have to go the AI route because that's the only way that they can quote unquote explain things that happen. When reality, they just needed to figure out what the ending was first and work their way from there to create a more cohesive story. And this not only applies to, as you said, Japanese media, but also American movies and other movies and TV shows out there. It's just. I- feeling that they think this twist is so smart and i'm just like no it's not smart so what were you thinking well people people like to lap it up so that's what they they think and that's what makes the views and the money so disappointing Alrighty then. Well, that I think that wraps up our episode in this case. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this topic. And if you have your own thoughts of good examples and bad examples of how science is used for the plot, the world, and the characters, please let us know. We always we're always happy to hear other opinions. And yeah, we will have a fun another fun girl talku topic next week. So I hope you'll be here next time. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.